is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Felton. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in L.A. We all know about Delta and the problems it's caused. Now doctors worried about the Mu variant. Sounds kind of funny, Mu, but nobody's laughing. There's some concern over this new one, but how worried should you actually be? People who don't want to get vaccinated can try to get a religious exemption, but maybe states shouldn't allow them. We'll find out why. And if people don't want to get the vaccine, maybe missing their favorite band or their sports team live and in person is going to change that. Let's start with Mu. Dr. Warner Green is director of the Gladstone Institute of Virology in San Francisco. He's also a professor of microbiology and immunology at UC San Francisco. Doctor, are we all just getting way too paranoid about the variants? Because, I mean, you know, they're going to keep happening, aren't they? Absolutely. As long as the virus has a place to replicate, to grow, to divide, and that is someone who is not vaccinated, it will continue to spin off these variants. So let's play the headline game with Mu. Is it ultra concerning that it's around there and it's in all 50 states? Or can we read into the fact that because Delta is everywhere and super contagious, that maybe whatever else is floating around right now kind of gets crowded out. So we should just deal with the one at hand. That we have to deal with Delta. It is far and away the most infectious coronavirus uh, the most infectious respiratory virus the human race has ever seen. Um, and the mu variant is not getting the same kind of foothold that Delta do, does. However, what distinguishes mu is it has some immunoevasive properties that, in other words, our vaccine antibody response might not work as well against mu. Um, but if it doesn't grab hold and, and become the dominant virus in, in the world, um, you know, it's basically being crowded out. It's probably traded some immunoevasive qualities for its ability to grow. And that's good. So uh, help me out on this one, because I remember way back when the pandemic was just getting going and various experts we had on the show were saying that, well, one of the reasons or the reason the coronavirus was so uh, potentially deadly was because the human body had not encountered that particular kind of coronavirus before. So it had no we had no natural immunity. But now we are 18, 19 months into this between those who were vaccinated and those who have been naturally infected. Uh, and I'm not getting to the point of, I'm not asking questions about herd immunity so much as at this point. Don't most people or a lot of people have some experience, their immune system with this virus now? It's estimated that one in nine people in the United States have been infected. Um, And now we're up to, mm, I mean, we'll have at least one. uh, It'll take we're over 70 percent in terms of one vaccine. So but. The immunity also wanes. We know that. So even if you were infected with the virus, your immunity may may wane and you may become vulnerable to reinfection with the coronavirus. So, no, we're not we're not at the level of kind of of community um, resistance to this virus to, to keep Delta under control by any means. For those whose immune systems do get tested one way or another by Delta, whatever comes next, whether it's mu or something else, does it still have to be significantly different to to break through you again? Or the protection that you get from going through Delta uh, is going to at least buy you a little bit of time? 
Oh, it's it's definitely if you get infected with Delta and you survive, uh, it it will definitely help protect you from a, a subsequent coronavirus infection. It may not completely prevent you from being infected, but it could certainly keep you out of the hospital, just like the vaccines do. But it's important to emphasize that the coronavirus pandemic that we are seeing in this country right now is largely regional. It's in the South, and it is occurring uh, chiefly, almost, almost, there are some exceptions, but chiefly within unvaccinated individuals. And we could get hold of Delta, we could get, we could get this virus constrained if we could get the world's population vaccinated. Well, That's our way out of this. Yeah, but, but, but that is really the rub, is it not? I mean, if you take aside a those in this country who are not vaccinated, that's actually a small number of people compared to people in, let, let's say, Africa, where I think, right. what, 1% of the population has been vaccinated so far? Correct. I mean, we, we are, you know, we as the United States... You know, we need to make sure that we are helping and leading the effort to achieve global immunity against this virus, a global vaccine program. I mean, we need to make sure that others are getting their first and second shots while we are continuing to discuss third shots here within our country. We've got to, I mean, the, the, the Delta virus came out of India, uh, the variant came out of India, and it was largely because that was, was, not, that, uh, was not a vaccinated uh, country. So that's going to happen again and again and again. As long as we give this virus a place to grow and to change, it will spin out variants that will challenge us. Dr. Warner Green directs the Gladstone Institute of Virology in San Francisco. Some people are using religious reasons to get out of taking the COVID vaccine, but should they? Maybe there shouldn't be a religious exemption because there's no basis for it. Curtis Chang, founder of Redeeming Babel and consulting faculty member at Duke Divinity School. Uh, Curtis, how are these exemptions supposed to work? Well, how this works is this is comes from under the Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which tells employers they should make a reasonable attempt to accommodate sincere religious beliefs of their employees if it doesn't place an undue hardship on the employer. So let's break that down. First of all, the key formula, there needs to be a religious belief sincerely held. Let's take religious belief first. As you have just said in your intro, there just is no religious belief that justifies vaccine resistance. It's There's no Bible verse, there's no creed, there's no theology. All of the major established Christian leaders from the Pope, to Franklin Graham and everybody in between in terms of established leadership has said Christians are not prohibited from taking the vaccine and in fact ought to be encouraged to take the vaccine as an act of service to your neighbor and also love of your own body. And so there just simply is no uh, tradition that you can appeal to that says there's a religious objection to appeal to. This is a naked attempt to hijack God to justify one's own political position, partisan identity, culture war position. It's, it's not, it has nothing to do with God. And so people, including Christians who are invoking a religious exemption to the vaccine, are violating the third commandment, to that, which says, thou shalt not invoke the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, don't do it for, you know, for your own vain, empty purposes. And that's exactly what's happening 
So there's just simply no religious basis. And it's also not sincerely held. All right. But when when but let let me interrupt, because I'm curious when somebody who is uh, genuinely religious, uh, let's let's put aside for the moment anyway, people who are just using it because they're, you know, they it's kind of a shield uh, to protect their own uh, political beliefs. But let's say they they consider themselves to be a very religious person when asked, uh, what is it that in your religion prevents you from being vaccinated, what is it that they say? They really, they will come up with sort of vague answers like my conscience or God tells me not to bow down to anyone, uh, to bow down, not to bow down to government and so forth. And so they, they, they actually cannot come up with a coherent biblical Religi- truly religious-based belief. And the, the ultimate resort they will come to is, I believe this, I believe this, right? So the appeal is to the authority of the self, that it's somewhere in me, I subjectively hold this belief, and therefore it's a religious objection. And that goes against the very core of the Christian religion, because the very core of the Christian religion is that you, the self, is not the master, that we actually follow a someone who is a master over our life, Jesus, as especially as revealed in Scripture, and that what's happening with the religious exemption is people are actually making a master, a lord, out of their own individual own instincts, temperaments, suspicions, whatever, and then making Jesus to serve those subjective, personal, individual opinions. So it's a it's a it's not religious. It's, it's a sham of a an appeal. And that kind of thing would not fly with the employer who's reviewing your religious exemption and seeing if it if it meets you know the level it needs to. Exactly. And and for all your employers out there who are listening, if you're HR manager, if you're a principal of a school, if you're a supervisor of a fire department, and you get one of these appeals exemptions, one of the ways you can first of all you should ask. Well, what is the religious basis? You know, what is the doctrine, tradition, scripture you're appealing to? The second thing you should ask is, have you been immunized for measles, mumps, rubella, tetanus, polio, and so forth? If they have, and which most evangelicals and most conservative Christians have, they have been vaccinated, and they have in the past agreed to vaccine mandates from from school overwhelmingly. If they have, that automatically shows that the religious appeal here is not sincere, right? Because it's not consistent. They have not they have not evoked religion to reject any other vaccine that was not that had that wasn't so politicized the way the covid vaccine was. So that should tell you right away if they've been vaccinated before, if they have not consistently refused vaccinations for other vaccinations for religious reasons, then this is a is an insincere um, uh, appeal, a uh, hijacking of religion. Uh, are there any examples in the past, in this country anyway, where people have claimed religious exemptions for other vaccines, or is this really the first time? This is the first time that it's appeared to any 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 scale. There have been small scale on the fringes attempts, but uh, no, the majority of Christians have always supported vaccinations. There was a poll in nineteen. 19- uh, 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 just a few years ago, before COVID, before the and before the sort of the partisan wars got so bad uh, in 2014, by the Pew uh, Research Institute, that showed uh, well over three quarters of white evangelicals. Right, this is the core of the vaccine-resistant population. But back in 2014, just a few years ago, uh, 70 more than 75 percent of white evangelicals supported school mandates for MMR, measles, mumps, rubella 
vaccination, right? So just a few years ago, they were saying schools ought to mandate, schools ought to make it the place safe for everyone for these vaccines. It's only because in the intervening years, we've gotten so politicized and the COVID vaccine has gotten dragged into this partisan divide that we have that now suddenly they're against this particular vaccine only. Curtis Cheng, founder of the Christian Education Group, Redeeming Babel, consulting faculty member at the Duke Divinity School and senior fellow at the Fuller Theological Seminary. Curtis, thanks. Coming up after a short break, music and sports could play a big role in boosting vaccination rates. What if your favorite band is in town and you want to see them live again for the first time in forever? But you can't because there's a vaccine requirement and you're not vaccinated. What do you do? New survey shows more people are willing to get vaccinated to see their favorite band or their sports team play in person. KYW's Matt Leon talked to Sarah Shevinock, entertainment reporter for Morning Consults, which conducted this survey. So, you know, returning to normal, whatever that means, you know, heading back to the movies or a sporting event right now, you know, when you talk to people working in these industries, they say that the number one thing is that they are a post-vaccine industry and that to return to full operations, they need people to get vaccinated. And we're starting to see that some states, some businesses are handing down these vaccine mandates where they say, you know, if you want to come play with us, you have to get your shot. Um, so we wanted to see what would incentivize people to get the COVID-19 vaccine and, you know, just see if interest and likelihood in getting the vaccine would vary for different activities, whether it was, you know, required for an everyday activity, like shopping or going to school, or going to, you know, maybe a more special activity like a concert or a sporting event. So kind of give us the rundown here with regards to unvaccinated people. I know you you guys have data mm-hmm. digging down on that. What did you find? What kind of moved the needle that would move people from unvaccinated to vaccinated if they needed it to do X, Y and Z? Sure. So looking um, specifically at unvaccinated adults, as you mentioned, um, more than one in four said that they would get the vaccine if it was required to go to a concert or a sporting event. Um, we did see that those everyday activities like shopping in person at a store or going to school or sending your child to school, those were the ones that were most likely to motivate people to say that, yeah, maybe I'll go ahead and get the vaccine. But, you know, these fun entertainment activities like your concerts, sporting events, movie theaters, even going to see something like a live play, those also, you know, would motivate about a quarter of um, unvaccinated respondents to get the vaccine. What was the data? What did it say about the vaccine mandates? We hear a lot about that. Uh, If I'm looking correctly, you guys did ask people about that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So there is strong support for vaccine mandates. Um, I think maybe not surprisingly, vaccinated adults are more likely to support the vaccine mandates um, for activities. You know, travel was one that, you know, they were very in support of having the vaccine mandate in place for that. Um, But about 70 percent said that for these in-person entertainment activities like concerts, movies, sports, et cetera, Um, They want those vaccine mandates in place. Um, Unvaccinated adults were a little less likely to support that. About 30 percent said that they would be in favor of vaccine mandates. Um, So, you know, I I think, you know, there's nothing really surprising with that data. You know, that vaccinated individuals would want to know that other vaccinated individuals are with them, whereas unvaccinated individuals, you know, might not want to take that penalty of not being able to participate in something because they don't have their vaccine. What are some of the other things you guys looked for? What are some other interesting data points you were able to call from this? 
So we also looked at mask mandates, you know, now with the Delta variant on the rise and, you know, health officials sharing more information about how even if you are vaccinated, you can spread um, COVID-19 still. And, you know, uh, a lot of businesses are, you know, reinstating that mask mandate. You know, I'm here in D.C. and we have to wear our masks anytime we go inside. And we found that regardless of vaccination status, there was wide support for requiring masks. Um, you know, whether you're fully vaccinated or not vaccinated yet. Um, among vaccinated people, about 80% want mask mandates in place for entertainment and sports activities. Um, but even the unvaccinated population, we're still seeing over half of that group um, saying that they support some sort of mask mandate um, for activities ranging from travel to entertainment activities to, you know, gathering in person for religious um, events. Anything surprise you? I mean, I know you kind of live in this world of data and stuff like that, but when you kind of culled through this, was there anything that really made you go, huh? Um, I don't know if it was super surprising, but I did have one of those, oh, that's interesting moments looking at that mask mandate question. You know, we have our return to normal trackers, which, you know, are a fun page to take a look at. We have all sorts of pandemic related data on there and, you know, how consumers are, are feeling about the pandemic and different activities. Um, and one thing that we look at is masking. And over, you know, throughout the summer, we've seen that, you know, some people are saying they're wearing their masks less, which I think, you know, is kind of what a lot of people were feeling this summer. You know, we have our vaccine. We're starting to take that step back to normalcy. So seeing those numbers decrease, but then also seeing the large share of consumers that are in favor of those mask mandates still, that really kind of took maybe take a pause and go like, oh, so people are still in support of the mask mandates, even if maybe they had been, you know, doing that less in their own everyday life. Yeah. And to that point, you know, masking has become a political firestorm, Mm -hmm. but I'm actually kind of heartened by this data because it kind of shows that the people that are anti-mask are a minority. They might be very loud and vocal mm-hmm. minority, but for the most part, we're all kind of all on the same page here. Yes, that's, you know, one thing that uh, I talk a lot about with people is, you know, this concept of when you work with data, you kind of learn that Twitter is not real life. So a lot of times, you know, you go on social media and you see all of these headlines about, you know, people hate masks. But then when you actually go in and dive into the data, you see that the numbers are telling a different story. So that's always been fascinating to me. Once we kind of hit that point where vaccination stalled, even though they're picking up again, I kind of thought that vaccine mandates to go to the movies, go to a sporting event, you know, and and then obviously maybe work in person, stuff like that. It seems to me that's going to be what kind of gets us the final couple of miles is, and I think these numbers are maybe start to show that uh, people are getting boxed in more and more in mm-hmm. everyday life and they'll just be like, okay, fine, I'll get it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, I know in my reporting looking at, Um, different segments of the entertainment industry, we've seen, you know, one of the challenges has been this, you know, vaccination um, status question, because some states and localities are saying, like, you can't ask someone about their vaccination status. Um, But others are, you know, I think like New York City, they have their Excelsior program where you have to, you know, be able to show that you're vaccinated to enter. Um, But, you know, as these, you know, private businesses and companies start requiring, you know, masks and vaccines, you know, we've seen a lot, um, specifically looking at concerts, Um, A lot of individual artists are saying, hey, if you want to come to my show, you need a vaccine and you need a mask. I think this will also kind of move the needle as we see more big figures 
stepping up in support of these vaccine and mask mandates. And we'll kind of move the um, line back to normal as we we get closer to that. And are there other any other interesting concepts we haven't talked about you think are worth mentioning? Sure. So we did look at testing for unvaccinated individuals. You know, there are, you know, some people who are just electing not to get the vaccine, but then there are also people that for whatever reason, if it's a medical reason or an age related reason that, you know, in order to gain admission, um, some businesses and events are saying you can provide a test as an alternative. And, you know, roughly about um, half of adults said that they support unvaccinated individuals being allowed to show a negative COVID test as an alternative to proof of vaccination, um, which is interesting. Um, especially, you know, as children, you know, this is kind of the only option they have if they want to participate in an activity where a vaccine is required at this point. And you guys, Kak, you guys gathered this data uh, near the end of August. Am I correct? Yes, that's correct. When is this something you will follow up on and you will look at this again? Um, you know, there's a very good possibility that we will. Um, a lot of our trend data right now can be found on our return to normal trackers. Um, we have some data going back to, you know, the start of the pandemic. Um, so there's always new things happening there. And, you know, we're always recirculating things, you know, especially as the pandemic continues to develop. I don't think we can say it's waning yet. We still have to throw in there, you know, it's continuing to develop and who knows how long that will be. A new report from cybersecurity firm Mandiant and experts at Google finds that a pro-Chinese government online influence operation is targeting Americans to try to exploit divisions over the pandemic and physically mobilize protesters in the U.S. in response. CNN says U.S. officials believe the operation is linked to the Chinese government and have been monitoring its evolution. During the 2020 election, U.S. officials were watching to see if the operation might be used to spread disinformation, but ultimately assessed that the Chinese government avoided doing so because it did not want to provoke a response. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.